Well, afternoon, Soul Church. Uh, it's always a pleasure to see you guys. It's about 10 years uh, this year since I started, when I first became a Christian, I actually started going to Soul Church. So it's always a blessing to be able to come and see you guys and see a lot of familiar faces that are still here many years later. Um, as we begin, let me open up in prayer. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to your word this afternoon, our Father, we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. Father, we pray that you would soften hearts to be able to understand. And Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would be at work here in your church this afternoon. Our Father, please be with me, your servant, as I bring your word uh, this afternoon to this church. And Father, we pray, Lord, please be with each of us. And we commit this time to you. And we pray that during this time, you would receive all the glory and the praise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As, so as we open up this letter, we find Paul in prison. Uh, he's most likely in Rome. And it's considered that during this imprisonment, he wrote at least four letters. Uh, four letters that we still have with us today. Uh, these letters are known as the prison epistles. They are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and this letter which we have before us today, Philemon. And from these four epistles, Philemon is the only personal epistle written by Paul to a single person, Philemon. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Philemon, but we could make some educated guesses. Uh, for example, we could say that Philemon is most likely a wealthy Roman citizen. He most likely became a Christian under the ministry of Paul while Paul was in Ephesus uh, ministering to the saints there for three years. It's likely that under this ministry, Philemon became a Christian. And Philemon lives in Colossae about 160 kilometers away from Ephesus. And a church meets in his house. And in this house, church, he's quite involved. He loves the saints. But since the planting of this house, church, it has come to the attention of Paul that Colossae is in trouble. Uh, most likely, Epaphras has searched for him, searched for Paul, and is asking now for assistance, asking that Paul would write to those in Colossae, asking that he would address the problems there. And so Paul sends a letter to correct them, to remind them of the great hope that they have in Christ and how to live in response to that great hope. But Paul is also sending another letter to those in Colossae. He's sending a letter to Philemon. But why? Why is he sending this letter to Philemon? Well, it's because during Paul's imprisonment, uh, he's met someone. He has met Onesimus. And Onesimus has become a Christian. But Onesimus is also a runaway slave. He's Philemon's runaway slave. And it's for this reason that Paul now writes to Philemon. But the question we ask, some of us may be asking, why did I mention the letter to the Colossians? Well, I think it's because you can't separate the two letters. I, Philemon, in a short space of time, perhaps even on the same day, would have read the two letters. And so some of the things that is said as he reads this personal letter from Paul, 
um, would be in the back of his mind what he has read to the letter uh, in the letter of the Colossians. I think in God's providence, it's great that you guys have been working through a series in Colossians together. And it's, um, it's my prayer and my hope that as we look at this, that some of those things that you've looked together as a church would be in the back of your mind. Uh, throughout the sermon, I will, be giving, uh, I will be mentioning the book of Colossians because it gives context to our letter today. And as we look at our letter today, the main purpose that Paul is writing to Philemon is that he would, um, through the gospel, the relationship between the two of them, Philemon and Onesimus, would be restored. If you're taking notes, I have three points that we're going to be looking at together. Three points. Our first is aligning expectations. Our second point is appealing to love. And then our third point is accepting Onesimus. So let's start with that first point. And as we start, we ask, what would have been the normal expectations for a slave returning to their master? Well, under Roman law, if a runaway slave was found, uh, that master could punish them. He could beat them. He could imprison them for running away. Uh, in the eyes of many, a slave was an extension of his master's property. And Onesimus is a runaway slave. And as he ran away from his master Philemon, he just didn't, he just didn't run. Uh, but we're told that he had taken something from his master. Uh, perhaps money or some sort of goods. So humanly speaking, the last thing Onesimus would like to happen is that he would be found and taken back to his master Philemon. But what happens? Well, Onesimus is found, and he's found by the Apostle Paul. Uh, through some remarkable set of circumstances, Paul and Onesimus meet. While in Rome, having spent time with Paul, Onesimus, by God's grace, becomes a Christian. And becoming a Christian, Onesimus becomes useful to Paul. But Paul realizes that he can't keep Onesimus to himself. And so what does he do? He sends Onesimus back to Philemon. But he doesn't want to send him back empty-handed. So as Tychicus takes the letter of Colossians to those in Colossae, he's also bringing with him Onesimus and this other letter to give to Philemon. This letter to say to Philemon how he should treat Onesimus as he returns. Let's see together how Paul aligns Philemon's expectations. Uh, please look with me at verses 4 and 5 of our letter. Where Paul says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and the faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, this wouldn't be the first time that Philemon has read these words. A Philemon would have heard about this before, a faith in Christ Jesus and a love for all of God's people. Uh, perhaps in the back of his mind, Philemon would be recalling what is said in the book of Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 4. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, that this faith and this love, uh, they spring from the hope that is stored for us in heaven. For which we have already heard 
in the true message of the gospel. And what is this hope, we ask? Well, it's the hope of the resurrection. It's the hope of the defeat of sin, fully and finally. As Paul explains in the letter to the Colossians what Christ has done for his people. And I think a beautiful summary is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Let me read that out for us. Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What Christ does, friends, for the Christian is that he saves them from the grasp of Satan. He redeems them on the cross. On the cross, He forgives all their sins. It is this message that has changed Philemon. It is this message that has created in Philemon a faith in Christ Jesus and a love for all of God's people. Paul then says this in verse 6 and 7, Having this great hope, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in increasing your knowledge of what we have in Christ and putting into practice all that is good that God wills for us and to do this all for the sake of Christ. Your love has been a joy and encouragement that has refreshed the hearts of God's people. Now Paul is reminding Philemon from these verses how the gospel has changed us. How this great hope that we have in Christ produces faith, produces love. How the gospel needs to align our thinking, not to respond how the world responds, but to respond with the love that was first shown to God's people. Uh, it is for this reason I chose um, to also have as a secondary reading Hosea chapter 3. For the Lord instructs Hosea to love his wife, Goma again, even though she's an adulteress. He instructs him to love her as I have loved the Israelites, though they have turned to other gods. Our friends, Goma is a picture of sinful Israel, but Goma is also a picture of us. While we were sinful, while we loved the things of this world, God loved us. While we worshipped various gods, God sent Jesus. He, he sent Jesus to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into His kingdom. That's the gospel. That's the hope we have. And it's with this, with this encouragement and this reminder of this great hope, a hope that is given to us, a faith in Christ Jesus and a love for all of God's people, that Paul then makes his appeal to Philemon. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Fireproof. Uh, it's a movie calling to love your spouse, not because you yourself are feeling loved, but because you have been first loved, you first received Christ's love. Uh, when Caleb Holt, uh, the main male actor, realizes uh, the message of the gospel, of being loved despite his behavior, of being loved despite his sinfulness, uh, despite his own constant rejection towards God, he, he is told that he is loved by God. And he is shown that God's love is not transactional 
But God's love is always given from a position of grace. So when Caleb realizes this, he reconciles that he will love his wife despite how his wife treats him. 1 John 4 verse 19, the Apostle John says this, We loved because he first loved us. Uh, The word love here in the Greek is the word agape. Uh, It's the same word that's used in our passage today. And I'm not sure if you realize this, friends, but in the Greek there are four different words to say the word love. Four different words for the word love. There's phileo, there's eros, there's storge, and there is agape. And agape is the love which expresses self-sacrificial love. It's a love shown in one giving up his own, his own life for the life of another. It's the same love that Jesus had shown for us on that cross. A love he had shown in giving up his life that we might have life. And so as Paul writes to Philemon, he appeals to him, not from a position of authority, but he appeals to him for love's sake. To love with the same love Christ loved. To love sacrificially. To love as he has been loving the saints already. So Paul says, verse 10, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. What Paul is saying here is Paul is saying that Onesimus has become a Christian. Before his conversion, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both of us. Uh, here in the Greek, there is a play on words that is kind of missed in the, in, in the English. Onesimus, his name, it actually means useful. Uh, but Onesimus didn't live up to his name. He wasn't useful. Uh, Douglas Moo in his commentary says this, Almost all the commentaries refer to Lightfoot's marshalling of the evidence to suggest that the slaves from Phrygia, where Colossae was located, had a bad reputation. And from our passage, uh, we know that Onesimus wasn't a useful slave. He wasn't a good slave. Uh, He was actually pretty bad. Uh, He was a useless slave, and he's a runaway slave, and he's one that not as he ran away, he stole from his master. But what does Paul say now? He says Onesimus is now useful. Uh, He's living up to that name that you gave him. He is both useful to you and to me. Verse 13 and 16, Paul says, I would have liked to keep him. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul says 
Onesimus has been useful already, helping Paul in prison. And if Philemon were to send him back, he would be of further use to Paul. But if not, if Philemon were to keep him, he would be useful as a fellow man, perhaps suggesting as your slave, but even more so than that, as a brother in the Lord. Uh, what might be Paul saying at this point? What is Paul trying to say? I think to give some clarity to what Paul is saying, it's helpful to look back at what Paul has said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, if you have your Bibles there in front of you, let's just flick to that passage there. Um, chapter 3, verse 22 um, to chapter 4, verse 1. When Paul instructs the church at chapter 3, verse 17, he says, In all that they say and do, whether in word and deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then, then he gives an example of what it looks like to live out the gospel and how the gospel transforms households. Look with me at what Paul says now about masters and slaves. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to chapter 4, verse 1. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Paul is saying to Philemon, if you have Onesimus as your slave, he will be so much better to you, so much more useful. Why? Oh, because he's become a Christian. He is now ultimately serving Christ. He's serving Christ just as you are. You both have Christ as your master in heaven. And so as you serve Christ together, do it for his glory. Uh, do it with joy. Do it with thankfulness. I think this is a great reminder for each of us, isn't it? That in all we do, in all that we say, uh, we are to do it for Christ's glory. As Paul, as he um, introduced today's service, he said, in all that we do, whether it's doing dishes or gather, gathering here at church, we are to do it all for Christ's glory, do it with joy, do it with thankfulness, because the gospel has freed us to do it. Uh, what Jesus does for the Christian is that he reconciles us to the Father. He transfers us from the dominion of darkness into his kingdom. He frees us from the powers and authorities that once controlled us, having nailed them to the cross. What Jesus does is he reconciles the relationships that were once broken through the restorative power of the gospel. So having said all this, Paul then says, if you consider me, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Accept him, not just a slave returning to you, but as a partner in the gospel, one who will be useful to you. But if there are any difficulties in welcoming and accepting Onesimus, 
Paul says, charge it to me. Charge to me. I, Paul, am writing this in my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Now, when Paul says, you owe me your very self, what does he mean here? Well, Paul is not referring to any material debt that, my, that Philemon might owe to him. Uh, Paul is referring to Philemon's very life. That through his ministry, Paul spoke the gospel to Philemon. Paul was instrumental in his conversion. Uh, one commentator, I was reading at this point, and I found what he said quite interesting. He said, even though Paul alludes to Philemon's conversion here, it is perhaps significant that he does not call him his son, as he did with Onesimus. Here the note that Philemon owes Paul his very self essentially reduces him to be Paul's slave. If so, the rhetorical intent is clear. If Paul does not insist on Philemon's status as one who owes his very self to Paul, Philemon likewise has no rights of ownership over Onesimus. It's like Paul is saying at this point, I don't treat you as a slave. So don't, please don't treat Onesimus as one. I treat Onesimus as someone who is very dear to me. Can't you also do the same? And also what Paul, I think, is also trying to convey is what you have been given, what you have been given through my ministry, it's so much greater than anything that has been taken away from you. In Christ, you have been given treasures. Uh, you have been given an inheritance that is far greater than any money or goods that was taken from you. As Christ loved you, as he gave himself up for you, can you now love Onesimus? Can you accept him as you would have accepted me? Accept him as one who was like you, redeemed and united to Christ. So Paul says, refresh my heart in Christ. I am confident of your obedience, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Uh, perhaps here for the first time, Paul puts some authority behind the words that he is saying. And this authority, I don't think is coming from his apostleship, but it's coming from the words that he has already said. Because Philemon, because he's received the gospel, and having been reminded of what he has received, it should produce an overwhelming desire now to live for Christ Jesus. Our friends, what Christ has done should transform our behavior, not to act like the world around us, but to act having been given first, given a great inheritance in Christ. I think this is something that we need to be reminded often, isn't it? That having been transformed by the gospel... We should not act like the world does. Not, not looking for justice just because it's owed to us. And not receiving rights because the laws of our land demand that we deserve them. And what Paul has shown to Philemon, what he has shown to us, is that the gospel changes and transforms us. And that we respond with thanks, we respond with praise for what Christ has done. And that all that we do, whether in word or in deed, uh, we give glory to Him. We give thanks to Him. We do it with joy because of what He has done.
And when we struggle to do this, friends, uh, Paul encourages us to see what we have been given. He says, look to Christ and be reminded of what He has given us. Look at the debt that He has paid for us. Look at the inheritance. Look at the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. For those of us who are married, when you are struggling to love your spouse, remember first the great love that has been shown you. When you are struggling to forgive that friend that has wronged you, remember how much you have been forgiven in Christ. And perhaps when you're struggling not to be bitter to those who have done you wrong, well, recall that when you had wronged Christ, He still loved you. He still died for you, even while you were trapped in the dominion of darkness. I remember that movie, Fireproof. And when Caleb is sitting at that campsite with his father, and he's frustrated by his wife's lack of concern and her constant bitterness, Caleb says this, I have taken in her insults and her sarcasm. But last night was it. I made dinner for her. I did everything I could to demonstrate that I care about her, to show value for her. And she spat in my face. She does not deserve this, Dad. I'm not doing it anymore. How am I supposed to show love to somebody over and over and over again who constantly rejects me? But then Caleb sees the cross. And his father explains to him that what he is experiencing from his wife, well, it's what he has been doing to the Lord. Caleb's father says the cross was offensive until he came to it. But when he came to it, Jesus Christ changed his life. When Jesus effectually calls the Christian, when he shows you his love, when He shows you His forgiveness, He does a work in you. He changes you. If you have come here today looking for love, looking for forgiveness, the message of the cross is for you. The message of who Jesus is, what He has done for you, this message is for you. To be loved by Him, to be forgiven by Him, to be changed by Him. And for the Christian here today, the cross is a reminder of what you have been given. The cross is there to align our thinking, not to act as the world does, but to respond rather with love, to respond rather with forgiveness, to love as we have been loved, to forgive knowing how much we have been forgiven. Jesus said to the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7, as the sinful woman washed his feet, he said, those who have been forgiven much will love much. As we recall how much we have been forgiven in Christ, we are to respond with love. Not because those around us necessarily deserve it, but because he first loved us. Because he first gave himself up for us. Because he loved us and gave himself up for us his church. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, 
Our Lord, what a wonderful reminder of how much um, we have been loved and we have been forgiven in the Lord Jesus. Lord, what a wonderful reminder of the inheritance that we have in Christ. Lord, the message and the hope of resurrection, the message and the hope that one day sin will be fully dealt with fully and finally. And Father, how we are now in response to this great hope that we have uh, are to likewise ourselves show love and forgiveness to those around us. Our Father, this is, this is not an easy thing to do. Uh, so often we forget how much we have been loved and how much we have been forgiven. So Father, we pray that you would help us to bring um, what Christ has done to the forefront of, forefront of our minds. Lord, that we would remember this great inheritance that we have, that we would remember how much Christ has done for us. And Lord, that would overwhelm in us um, a response to live for you, to bring glory for you in all that we say and all that we do. And Lord, that we would be quick to love and quick to forgive. Uh, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to do this by your Spirit. And Father, we pray that you would help us daily to remember how much we have been given in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.